0: Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading should be familiar with us, or to us. It's, we've been reading it the last couple of weeks. I think our prayer, though, is that as you hear it, it'll change our, your heart. And as we go out this week and in the months to come, even, that we will, to use a familiar word, dwell on it, that it changes our actions. So Philippians 4, eight <coughs> reads, Finally, brethren, whatever is true whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And isn't it awesome that what God spoke many years ago to Paul is true and relevant today? Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Nice work. Should just let you keep going. You were crushing it. So, hey, good morning. My name is Dallas. If I haven't met you, I really would love the opportunity to meet you after the service and get to know you just a little bit better. Let me tell you where we're at. We are, like Craig said, we're in that one verse, really over a five-week span. And so we've been kind of like scattered as a leadership team because poor Tara, Wednesday, we give her 30 chapters for one night. And I get one verse for five weeks. So, you know, it's, it's really based on how much we trust the communicators So, we trust you with a lot and me not so much. No. Hey, let me tell you where we're at. In the first week, we really focused on that word dwell and how it means to to ruminate, to chew on, to bring up over and over and over again. Paul is saying we've had so much practice in our old life of focusing on the things of our old life. And so now what we've got to do is we've got to bring up over and over again the things of the new life, dwell in these eight things because. He tells us in Romans 12 that everything starts in the mind, that it's good to have, you know, a good emotional response to something, but the emotion isn't where it starts. Even the action isn't where it starts. In fact, if you go back to the definition of of things like repentance, it means to rethink your thinking at its core. It starts in the mind. The transformation, the the renewal, the, the, the growing into sanctification starts in the mind. And So that's what Paul is saying here. Dwell in, chew on these eight things so that everything in our transformation can start in our mind. So that was week one. Week two, we talked about whatever is true. And I just love how Paul talks about whatever is true first, just like he talks about the belt of truth first in Ephesians. Because if you don't have a foundation of truth, everything else is going to be way off base. And then last week, we talked about whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. And this week we're going to address the last three things that Paul says here. And after whatever is lovely, he says whatever is of good repute. Or report is really what he's talking about here. So what we're going to do is we're going to define these just like we did last week. We're going to define them, cross-reference them, process through them, and then talk about how we can apply them to our lives. So let's start there with good report. It means this. Essentially, any news you hear that centers centers around Christ... Now, you can imagine that Paul had a lot of good reports to dwell in, but he also had a whole lot of bad reports to dwell in. Paul, you're shipwrecked and nobody's coming. Paul, you've been bitten by a snake and it looks bad. Paul, there's this thorn in your side and it's not going away. Paul, you're in prison. Paul, you're going to die in prison. Paul, another one of your friends has died on account of the gospel. You can bet that he has had a lot of bad reports. So he's not naive here when he he tells us to dwell in good reports, right? In fact, right before this, Philippians 4, 6, two verses before, he says, do not be anxious. And you can imagine sitting in this jail cell, there was anxiety that came up very often, right? And that word anxiety in this context means to be double-minded, to really focus on the things of the old life, right? And it's very easy to do that when you're sitting in a jail cell. So what he's saying is the way that you avoid being anxious really first is by prayer and petition, but then also by letting your mind transform to be focused on those good reports, to dwell in those good reports. And maybe he remembered Proverbs twelve twenty-five, which says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad and man paul if you were in if, if you're in a life group we're doing colossians book of colossians and he starts out and he says man here are the good reports that i've heard he made it a habit of just dwelling in the things that he's heard that is good because man a good report brings life to our souls doesn't it i mean can you think of some good reports you've gotten over time I know we just got a good report. One of my daughters brought a good report home from school. And if you ever remember when you were in school or as a parent getting a good report home about your kid, man, that just brings life into your soul, doesn't it? Now, my parents never had that experience with me, unfortunately. (laughs) And they can testify that I am not joking. So uh, (laughs) this is not the point at all, but I'm just going to say it anyway. In first grade, I remember I got a D On my report card and it hit me wow this is bad and you know you got to get those things signed right so so I get in the car and I'm like dad there's a D on here I don't really know what it means maybe it's like a D for Dallas or something like that (laughs) of course he wasn't buying but man if you've ever had a good report you know it brings life into your soul maybe you got a good report on your health and you just couldn't help but tell everybody about it you know just such good news brings life to your soul, And then really the best reports you could get is when somebody close to you that you love, man, they come to faith or maybe chains have been broken in their lives and, and you hear about it and it just speaks such life to your soul. And that's what happens here with Paul. So Epaphras, if, if we take the book of Colossians like we're going to do in life group, Epaphras comes to him in jail, visits him while he's in prison and says, man, here are such great things that are going on. I mean, can you imagine that conversation, too, by the way, about all these good reports? The church has started. Man, there's somebody here who is, like, strung out on drugs, but yet Jesus has changed his life completely. Or, man, this person was worshiping, like, 75 gods, and now he's proclaimed Jesus as the one true God. Or, man, she, she was weighed down so much, but then she heard about that story of the woman at the well, and, man, she's just liberated in the name of Jesus. Right? You imagine this conversation going on and Paul's going, man, I got all these bad reports that we just talked about. And yet, now I'm hearing about all these good reports. And he says, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to dwell there. I'm going to be remade in these good reports that I'm hearing. And again, like we talked about last week, it's not that you don't think about those things that are bad reports. In fact, sometimes you need to think about the bad reports so that you can find solutions to the problem or deal with mourning and going through pain and stuff like that. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a conscious choice for us to not sit there and dwell there. Instead, we dwell in what is good. Now, let me level with you for a second, though, because that feels a little bit naive at times, doesn't it? Just like Paul... Some of you have probably even recently gotten some very bad reports. Maybe somebody close to you has gotten a terminal diagnosis. It's bad news. It's a bad report. Or maybe as a kid, you had to work through some stuff because your dad had said early on, you had heard a, a report that your dad was leaving your home, which is very common today. Man, I had a kid come to me when I was working in elementary school, and he's, he got tears In his eyes, walking in to school, I said, what's wrong? He said, my mom said that she doesn't want me anymore. Life is full of bad reports that are very, very heavy. How is it that Paul could say, dwell in good reports? How could he say that? Well, the only way that he could say that is because the tomb is empty. It's the only reason. That is the strongest news that you will ever have, is that the tomb is empty. There will never be a report that will outweigh that report. And that's where our focus has to be. So Paul isn't being naive here. He's simply saying we can always, always dwell in good reports because Christ is preeminent. Paul says, I might be in prison. I might have this thorn in my side. I might be going through pain. I might be seeing death any day now. And by the way, I don't know when that might be. I just know it's within the next two years, sometime. And my friends are dying again and stuff like that. But, but because there's a greater report than that, I can always dwell in good report. First Corinthians 15, 55, 56 says this. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now talk about a good report. Victory over sin and death. I mean, are you kidding me? That is a great report right there. And that's why Paul is saying here, because that's preeminent, because that's at the top of the hierarchy, then we can be remade in identifying and seeing good reports when it comes our way. So we want to be a people, because of that reality, we want to be a people who dwell in good reports. Wouldn't you love to be that person that people want to report good things to? Because you just identify it, you highlight it, because of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, you know what good news is, and you just want to highlight it, and you're like, yes, let's go. You know, like somebody says, hey, I'm pregnant, and you're like, let's go, yes, I want to celebrate with you, that's great. Right, somebody gets that promotion, and you're like, come on, that's awesome news, because why? Because we're being remade in the best news, the good report, right? So now we're highlighting good when we see it all the time. Let us be a people who highlight and dwell in good report. And Paul says, perhaps that's when we will know that the God of peace is with us. Now, the next one is excellence. And this is really more of a moral category. It's moral excellence. It's evidence of high character and morality, or virtuous thought, Paul is saying here, or whatever is of integrity. Or the way I just wanted to define it, it was, was whatever demonstrates the character of Christ. And A great example of this is I had a friend who lost his job uh, last year and really kind of unfairly, if I'm being honest with you. And he calls me right afterwards and he says, Dallas, help me to deal with this the way that God wants me to deal with it. Help me to not have any blame here. Help me as I finish out my days here. Help me to love the people well who have wronged me. I want, I, want to, I want to do this well. That was high moral excellence in that situation. But what we have to understand is that, that my friend didn't just make that up. He didn't just come up with it. He didn't just have the courage. He didn't just muster it up. Instead, he remembered the moral excellence of Christ. I think he realized that, that anything that had been done to him pales in comparison to what he has done to God. And that was the point. Right? He he understood. He had a humility. In fact, Second Peter five through nine, Peter just lays this out to us. He says, For this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Now most versions say good character. Into goodness knowledge, into knowledge self-control, into self-control, perseverance, and perseverance godliness. Into godliness mutual affection, into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever, and this is so important, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their, their past sins. Do you see that? You can't just make up moral excellence. It, it comes from knowing where you've been. It comes from knowing the fact that that God has the standard for moral excellence, and he gave that to us while he forgives us of our sins. So what my friend did was, he just went back to the fact that, you know what? God God has saved me from more than what these people have done to me. So who am I not to forgive? Who am I not to display high moral excellence in this situation? It reminds me of the Matthew 18 parable where... The servant comes before the master, and the servant owes the master a 100,000 bags of gold. Now, look, I don't know much about gold, but that seems like a lot. I mean, I don't know if there's been some, like, Ocean's Eleven-type shenanigans going on here where he's just been hoodwinking his master all this time. There's that word again, hoodwink, man. But so that's a lot of money, right? And so the master confronts him, and the servant says... He just falls to his knees and he's like, please, please forgive my debt. Forgive my debt. I can't pay it. Please forgive it. And the master so graciously says, okay, your debts are forgiven. But then that servant goes out into the world and he sees somebody who owes him a hundred bags of gold. And this guy falls to his feet. The servant says, please forgive me. I can't pay that. Please forgive the debt. And the servant says, no pay up, essentially. And the master finds out about this. He's like, are you kidding me? I mean, I forgive you of a 100,000 bags of gold debt. You can't forgive. This guy essentially owes you like a sandwich in comparison to that, what you've done to me. And you can't even forgive that debt. That's the point of what we're talking about here. The moral integrity, the more moral character comes from recognizing the fact that we owed a great debt and the master forgave that debt. Who are we to hold on to things? Who are we to not display a high moral excellence in the midst of adversity when God himself has forgiven us so much? He is the standard of moral excellence. He's the one who, by the way, in John 13, it's, he knows it's his last hour. And it says he loved them to the end. I mean, he, he washed the feet of all the disciples, including Judas, by the way, who was going to betray him in just a few hours, washes their feet. He's the same one who, who heals the lepers and the lame and the disease-stricken and, and those who are wounded and in pain. I mean, that's his character. He's the same one, by the way, who, who is on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's a standard of moral excellence. And until we understand that, there will be no moral excellence in our own lives. So let us be a people who see over and over and over again the moral excellence of Christ. You know, if you see it in somebody else, you're like, man, that's awesome. I'm going to sit there. That was a glimpse for me into the moral excellence of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. And then the last of these eight things, whatever is praiseworthy. So, whatever stirs up praise, whatever um, whatever we can recognize, give recognition to, or give something its due, that's what Paul is talking about here. So, Paul ties a bow on this whole thing in the exact right way, I think. He says, whatever is true to start, because you have to have the foundation of truth, but then he says, you have to also up the ante here. You can't just think about these things. You, a- you actually have to provide Recognition to these things. You actually have to give these things their due. If we want things to take root in us, we have to take that next step to stir up praise of these things. That's what Paul's talking about here. You know when people will say something like, oh, I thought about reaching out to you when that thing was going on. You're like, thanks, I think. Or the worst one is, When a husband, Luke, where's Luke? You're about to get married. I was thinking about you whenever I thought, don't ever do this, okay? Don't ever come home and say, hey, I thought about getting you flowers today, but then you didn't. What she hears is, oh, you care about me enough to just think about me, but not actually to take that next step, right? That's the point we're talking about here is how often do we say, oh, that was really good, and then just move on with our lives, Paul is saying here, you've got to let these other seven things allow praise to be stirred up in you. You've got to give it its due. You've got to provide recognition in your heart to these things. Now, I was thinking about this this week. Morgan and I had a dream opportunity a couple weeks back. We went to go see Hamilton on Broadway, and she has been a huge Hamilton fan since it came out on Disney+. Plus, Like to the point where sometimes I'm like, please just turn that off, you know, for now. But so we went and we go and, you know, everything's awesome and stuff like that. We're just having such a good time. And I, I'm looking at her more than I'm really watching it because, you know, she's just, she's just such a fan and she's crying and stuff like that. Because, and this was a Christmas gift, by the way. And so I finally got the Christmas gift right. I mean, didn't we talk about that a couple months ago? Just, just, it's kind of come, coming to me now. I got that right. We've come a long way since the Crock-Pot incident that we talked about. <laughs> Few months ago. But so she's she just having a good time, man. She's just, she's crying and, and everything like that. But one of the things I've always appreciated about Morgan is she gives things their due. She gives recognition to things, right? And so at the end, when it was over, she didn't just go, well, that was good, and then move on. I mean, her and everybody else there stood up and clapped. And since that time, She'll say things like, man, I can't believe we went to go see that. That was awesome, wasn't it? To the point where I'm like, again, Morgan, come on. Like, you know, let's just move on with our life here. you know." But that's the point. is We can't just say, oh, that was good, because it's not going to take root in us. And this is why I believe it's so obvious that the Bible is from God. Because the way Paul does this, modern psychologists just wouldn't even think of this. He says, whatever is true, to start out, foundation of truth. But then he says, at the end, if you want these things to take root, you have to provide proper recognition to them. And see, Paul knows that what you praise grows. What you praise grows. If you praise anxiety, anxiety is going to grow in you. If you give anxiety its due, it's going to grow in you. I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but sounds pretty good. If you praise fear, fear is going to grow in you. But if you praise God and if you praise what is good, there's not going to be room in your mind for those other things because praise is growing in your mind of the things that ought to grow. Praise of the proper object of praise will bring life to our souls. Worship team, you guys can come back up. In Acts sixteen, Paul is in prison, and in verse twenty five, it's midnight, and Paul and Silas. Maybe you've heard this story. I don't know, but Paul and Silas are just praying and praising at midnight. Which, by the way, we gotta we gotta figure out doing that. Not the prison part, but the <laughs> praising at midnight part. Sometime we gotta maybe a New Year's Eve bash or something. Get together and praise and worship. But um, so anyway, they're they're praising and they're worshiping God during this time, man, and they're. You can imagine in the prison that they felt like there were times where they just needed to do that. You know, when life is heavy, when when it's uncertain, when there's worries and there's anxieties and things right in front of you. And you just have to praise. You just have to pray. And they're in this moment right now and other people are hearing it and stuff like that. And then it says this in verse 26. It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Catch that last part. Starts with prayer and praise, and ends with chains coming loose. Have we become too civilized to understand and embrace that praising god can lead to chains coming loose. I mean maybe maybe some of us have been stuck for so long thinking, you know, it's just it's just generational, you know, this is just who I am. This is just the way things are. This is just it's always going to be this way. You know, I'm just always I'm just always going to give in to sinful lusts. I'm just I'm always going to just do blank, whatever that is. Have we become too civilized in our faith to say, yeah, through praise, God can do anything and chains can break once again. And I don't know for you if there's any chains that need to come off, but I, I can speak personally. You know the darkest times in my life? You know what the most freeing thing was? Not the situation ending, but those moments where my mind was focused on praise of the proper object of praise. That's what Paul is saying here. Protect your praise. Direct your praise towards the proper object of that praise. And watch. As God begins to break chains, man. I mean, he's just a chain breaker. That's who he is. And so, we got one more week in dwell. We're going to close out next week. Now's a great time to start putting these things into practice. If there are these eight things in your life that you recognize, things that are true, I encourage you, write them out, write them out, focus on them, dwell in them, and watch as the God of peace is truly with you, because he really is with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We're just so, we're just so thankful that we can dwell in what is good, and in fact, what is good is greater than any other news that there is. Because the tomb is empty, we can actually realistically, reasonably, dwell in what is good. And we're just so thankful for that. Father, if there's any chains that need to come loose, I pray that you'll just do what you do once again. We love you very much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, let's worship.